was a little boy at the convenience store with his mother, and they were at a checkout register, and the clerk saw the little boy eyeing up some candy that was in a jar that was sitting on the counter. And so he said to the boy, do you want some candy? And the little boy looks up at the clerk with a big old smile on his face, and he shakes his head yes. So the clerk said, okay, go ahead, stick your hand in the jar, and take a handful of candy. And the little boy stares up at the clerk, and he shakes his head no. And the little boy's mom is now looking at him because she knows her son, and she's like, what's wrong with you? The nice clerk said you can have some candy, why aren't you taking it? So the little boy looks back up at the clerk, and he says, mister, can you take the candy for me? And the little man said, sure. And he opened up the jar, and he grabbed a handful of candy, and he put it in a bag, and he handed it to the little boy. Thank you, mister. Have a nice day. When they got to the car, the mother said, why in the world did you just stand there like you ain't got no, no sense and not grab the candy for yourself? And the little boy said, mom, because his hands are much bigger than mine. So I wanted his hands to grab the candy because I know that if his hands were involved, the outcome would be much better for me than if my hands were involved. Right? What's my point here? Whenever there's confusion and chaos taking place, we start to react to that. And when we react to the confusion and the chaos that's going on around us, then we are now acting in the flesh and depending on ourselves. And when you're looking to ourselves to solve the issue and not the wisdom that comes from God, you have now put your hand into the pot. And when your hands go in the pot, it's not as big as God's hands. Amen? I want to talk to you this morning about navigating through the confusion, navigating through the chaos, navigating through the transitions and seasons of disappointments. And putting them into God's hands because we know that the outcome will be much greater. Anybody ever gone through a hard time before? Anybody in a transition? Anybody ever been disappointed? Anybody awake? (laughs) I want to talk about navigating through these things. And that in these things, in these seasons, trusting that God is in control and working all things for good. But we got to first trust and believe in that he is good and not given up while we are in the process. Because then we'll be able to see what he's doing this whole time. I've been hearing the why questions a lot lately, which tells me that a number of people are just going through it right now, which is why I wanted to speak on this topic to encourage you that you're not alone, don't give up, and just hold on. So I hear a lot, of the, a lot of people asking the why questions. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? Why is God doing this? Why is God doing that? Why did God allow this to happen? Why did God allow that to happen? Why am I going through this? I'm a good boy, I'm a good girl. But he's not Santa Claus, right? He's not checking his list twice to see if you're naughty or nice, to see if you're a good boy or a good girl. And all these why questions are valid questions, and I want to encourage you that it's not wrong to ask those questions. And you're not alone when you're asking those questions. But don't stay there. Can I be honest with you? This past week, I had a really rough week myself. And I was asking the why questions. So you're not alone. Things weren't going as I had hoped for or that I had planned for with real estate and work things and other personal things, causing a delay on other things, family stuff, money, and it just felt like, you know, when it rains, it pours, you know what I'm saying? And I was just fed up. I was done. And I was going to tell Pastor Tony, I was going to say, ooh, I was going to say, you're not going to Florida because I'm not preaching this Sunday because I'm mad at God right now. (laughs) But I didn't do that. I'm here. But seriously, the very thing that I was preaching on is the same thing that I was experiencing this week. And so then I thought to myself, well, okay, so if this, how it all works out, then the next time that I preach, I'm going to preach about a million dollars. <laughs> because I want to experience what that'll be like. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 
But no, it was, a, it was honestly, it was a really rough week for me and, and Nisa, and I just felt like that for me personally, I was losing a lot of battles. I was losing a lot of things, and I was feeling disappointed, and so I want to talk on these things and bring you along on a journey with me. But first, I want to hang on what I'm about to say, and I want you guys to repeat after me. Say, hold on. My change is coming. My dream is on time. Say it again. Say, hold on. My change is coming. My dream is on time. One more time. Hold on. My change is coming. My dream is on time. Amen. 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 How many of you guys know the story of Joseph, the dreamer, right? Give you a quick little rundown, and then I'm going to take you on his journey. It starts from Genesis 37 all the way through 41, Joseph the dreamer. He had a dream that one day he would rule Egypt. His 10 brothers, yes, 10 brothers didn't like him. And when he told his dream to them, they hated him even more, so much so that they plotted to kill him and throw him in a pit. Then he was sold into slavery, where then he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, which then he was thrown into prison, and then after he got, in a pri- got out of prison is when he ended up ruling Egypt. I can think of a whole bunch of why questions right there. So we can relate to the story, right? So we're gonna go on this journey together. You guys ready? Joseph's father loved Joseph more than any of his other 10 sons. Now you know why they didn't like him very much. (laughs) And they say parents aren't supposed to have favorites. Well, Joseph's father had a favorite. And so much so that he made him a mantle. We call this mantle the coat of many colors, right? A mantle is a cloak or, or a piece of clothing that symbolizes authority, status, anointing, recognition, or even setting apart of someone. In all walks of life, you see people that have these different mantles or garments. You have inmates. You see they have their mantles or different garments that separate themselves from the guards. You have athletes who have their mantles and gear and jerseys and pads. Political parties, they have their mantles. Military, they have their uniforms and even patches. Hospitals, you see they have scrubs. And the kings and the queens, they have theirs as well, right? And so these are all brandings that represent a status of who you are, what you do, and even what season that you're in. And Joseph's father made him a coat, a mantle. We call this the many-colored coat. But what's really interesting here is that, is, is that word many-colored in the Hebrew doesn't necessarily mean the colors of the rainbow. It actually, when you translate into Hebrew, it actually means an all-weathered coat. And so scholars will tell us that this coat went from the neck all the way down to the feet, and it was made from a hide of an animal that had a high resin on the outside, and that resin kept the heat in when it was cold out, and it kept it cool when it was hot out. We call this the many-colored or all-weathered coat. And so what Jacob put on Joseph, his son, was a mantle that enabled him to walk through any season without a shift inside him while he walked through the elements that were around him. And the mantle also enabled him to dream. And once he was mantled, he had a dream. And the dream was that he was in a field and that there was 10 stalks of grain bound down to his stock of grain. And so he kind of figures, 10 stalks of grain? I have 10 brothers. Hey, this dream is about me. And so he goes and he tells the dream to his brothers. He goes, hey, hey guys, get this. I had a dream, and we were all in it. But the funny thing was, we were all grains of stock. And your, and I, my stock was standing really tall. 
but yours was lying flat in my direction. And so you can imagine now how they might be a little upset with Joseph. So Joseph, because of the mantle, it keeps speaking to him, right? And so now he has another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and the stars are bowing down to him. And so he goes and tells his father the same, the, the, that dream. And you can read in the text that you can tell that his father is now getting a bit agitated. And so the two dreams that God has given Joseph a vision of is a vision of what will come. So Joseph goes out. And it says in Genesis 37, 15, it says, a man found him wandering the fields. So Joseph gets lost looking for his brothers. His brothers hated him. They didn't like him, right? He gets lost looking for his brothers. Every one of us wants to feel a vital connection. And when we seek out the welfare of those who don't care about us, then we invariably get lost. Because we are seeking the welfare of, pe- of people who do not value our welfare. And that's when you gotta tell yourself, hold on, my change is coming, my dream is on time. Jay, Caleb, can you guys help me out here for a second with this illustration? So the man tells him where his brothers are, and Joseph, his brothers, approaches his brothers, and and it says in Genesis 37, 18, it says, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him, and they said to one another, look, here comes the screamer, let's kill him, we'll do it over that way. Here comes this dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him in one of these pits. Then we'll say that an animal devoured him, and we'll see what happens to his dreams. (laughs) When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him from his mantle, the coat of many colors. Give us this coat. (laughs) (laughs) That he wore. Ow. (laughs) And they took him and they threw him in the pit, and the pit was now empty. <laughs> Give it up to Jay and Todd, or Jay, Jay and Caleb. Thank you. Oh, man. <laughs> so not only did they strip him of his mantle, but they dropped him in the pit, which basically symbolizes that your word in this conversation is eliminated. So the pit is a place where you no longer have a voice in what wants to emerge. And man, does that, does that not sound like the world today? I feel like the world is throwing Christians in the pit so that we are mute and do not have a voice. Amen. What do you do now when you're in the pit? The mantle has already served its purpose. Its only purpose was to awaken the dream. So, Jay, you can have it. (laughs) And once that mantle has served its purpose, God will let somebody change your clothes. That's why I had them come up here and take it off me. Stay with me because it's going to come together. And when you're in the pit and you can't say anything, you can still tell yourself, I see the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to me. And when your brothers have stripped you from your mantle, threw you in a pit, and told your daddy you're dead, your dream is still at work because your cousins are on the way, the Ishmaelites. These are the people of the descendants of the guy that Abraham had to kick out. They're Joseph's cousins. And when your brothers won't help you, the people you thought that were your worst enemy will show up and take you to your next destination. Say, hold on. My change is coming. My dream is on time. 
Watch this. Watch how amazing God is. Watch how he works. You want to know why you're going through what it is that you're going through right now, but you have to go through it in order to get to where you're going. But we can't see the big picture right now, right? Watch this. We know the end of the story. We know that Joseph will eventually roll Egypt, but he's got to get to Egypt first. And in order to get to Egypt, he's got to be stripped of the mantle that he was given in the promised land because those clothes won't work where he's going. He'll be recognized. And his brothers have to reject him because they don't have relationship with the Egyptians so that his cousins who do have relationship with the Egyptians can now come and network and get him to where he's going. You have to go through it to get to where you're going. But in the midst of all of this thus far, don't you think that Joseph is asking why? Just like us? But we don't see the big picture. Why am I going through this? I don't deserve this. But hold on. My change is coming. My dream is on time. So the Ishmaelites take him and they put him in a position of selling him as a slave. So now his mantle is a slave's mantle. And he's standing on the auction block, and a man named Potiphar shows up, and he bypasses all the other slaves that are being sold. And he sees something in Joseph that he doesn't see in the others. And Potiphar buys him, takes him home, and because the dream doesn't just come with the ability to see what's to come, the dream also comes with the capacity to develop the skill sets that you will need to carry and to occupy that dream. Because he finds favor with Potiphar, the guy who's in position he will ultimately take. And Potiphar puts him in charge. The dream is working. Don't give up. And so in this time, he is working for his dream. The slaves, the steward's coat, represents work. Working for his dream. You have the many-colored, all-seasons coat that gives you right? That gives you the dream and prepares you for the seasons that you're about to go through. Now you have to work for the dream, the slaves or the steward's coat. You have to work for it now because you can't have a dream come to pass without working towards or for it. And then it says in Genesis 39, two through four, it says the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of the Egyptian master His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So Joseph proves he's got the capacity to handle everything that Potiphar puts before him. And all he keeps experiencing in Potiphar's house is... Promotion, 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 right? Keeps moving up. And you know, when you start getting all these kinds of promotions and stuff, right, you kind of start to look a little attractive. Todd, you come up here for a minute. Can you put this on for me real quick? <laughs> Man, you need to comb your hair. <laughs> it's all got some split ends. Work it. Don't <laughs> forget your wig. Yeah. 
I want to use this mic because this one has the reverb to it. <laughs> it says in Genesis 39, you have, you have a script? Huh? Oh, I don't need script. Oh. Okay. <laughs> All right. You don't need a script. <laughs> it says in Genesis 39, 6, it says, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast eyes onto Joseph. <laughs> and she said, Lie with me. <laughs> but he refused. And he said to his master's wife, he said to his master's wife, because it all started with a dream, right? It all started with a dream. We're talking about the dream. And he, and he said, look, honey, I had a dream and you weren't in it. <laughs> At which point she is now in anger over being rejected because she thinks she's all that. But in verse 11, too soon. <laughs> but in verse 11, Joseph got too close. And it says, he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men in the house was there. She caught him by his garment. You can grab this too. Oh. <laughs> caught him by his garment, saying, Come lie with me. <laughs> but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house as soon as, as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, <laughs> You see, he has brought a Hebrew among us to laugh at us. He came to lie with me, but I reached out, I cried, and when he heard me cry, he ran and left his garments with me. That's awesome. <laughs> Work it. <laughs> you own that role, man. You owned it. Pastor Tony is never going on vacation again. <laughs> this will be the last time I preach here. <laughs> then she laid up his garment by her until the master came home, and she told him the same story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Thank you, Todd. <laughs> you own the role, man. Now... Oh, now, he's not only been stripped of the dream coat that gave him the dream, now he's been stripped of the steward's coat that allowed him to work towards and for his dream. So now he's thrown into the prison where he's now wearing prison clothes. Right? Can't tell. <laughs> we all got secrets. <laughs> all right. So now he's wearing prison clothes. Say, hold on. My change is coming. My dream is on time. <laughs> At this part of the transition or season in your life, this is where you are tested and tried and falsely accused. This is where your character will now start to take shape. He is now in the deepest pit and he now wears prison clothes, but yet even in the darkest place, 
he's still finding favor because he's not given up. Because if God called you, then do not judge yourself by the circumstance that you're in and don't believe that the circumstance is going to get in you. Believe that what's in you is going to get in the circumstance. Hold on. My change is coming. My dream is on time. And the prison guard sees that every single relationship that Joseph is involved in that person gets reformed. Remember that word, reformed. So Joseph has this incredible ability to give guys in hell hope for the future. And so the prison guard puts all trust and authority in Joseph's hand. And so Joseph is now running the prison. And even the most hardened criminals now have softened hearts. And they get reformed. So there's no longer any prison fights, no longer any daring outbreaks. The prisoners start doing meaningful tasks under Joseph's oversight. And one day, Pharaoh gets angry at two of his top aides, the cupbearer and the baker. And Pharaoh throws them into prison where they meet Joseph. Joseph sees that they are troubled, and he asks, why are you downcast? And they both said they had a dream, but there was no one to interpret them. And Joseph said, well, tell me the dreams. And Joseph was able to interpret both of their dreams. The baker, in three days, you're going to be hung. And the cupbearer, in three days, you're going to be restored back to Pharaoh. And then he says to the cupbearer, remember me to Pharaoh. I need to get my life back. You see, I've been stolen out of my own land. And I don't belong here because I've been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. <laughs> I've been falsely accused, and I got a dream that's in my heart, and I don't even know fully how God's going to work it out. But would you remember me to Pharaoh? And it says in Genesis 40, 21 through 23, he, Pharaoh, restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph has interpreted to them. But in verse 23, it says the chief cupbearer forgot to remember Joseph. Still? Because God's not done with the process yet. Because at this time, God's not dealing with Joseph. You see, sometimes you're going through a delay, not because of you, but because the person that you're destined to influence isn't ready to receive the anointing that you have until they are in a desperate situation and no one around them can interpret their dream for them. Hold on. Your change is coming. Your dream is on time. We're coming home. You guys ready? Sure. <laughs> two years later, Pharaoh has two dreams, and they trouble him because he doesn't understand them. And he calls together all the wise men in his kingdom, and not one of them speaks to the dream. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer says, oh, wait a minute. I remember now, two years later. Pharaoh, there's a Hebrew slave in the prison, and when the baker and I were thrown in the prison by you, we both had dreams, and he was able to interpret them accurately. And so the Bible says in Genesis 41, verse 14, it says, then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit, and he had shaved himself, and he changed his clothes. Revelation. He's in the prison, right? And it says that he shaved himself and he changed his clothes. His brothers stripped him of his dream coat. Potiphar's wife stripped him of, from his steward's coat. But when you're in the prison, when you're in the prison, in order to finally step out and into that final stage, only you can strip yourself and shave off, meaning the removing of all past disturbances and being clean from all things that hurt me. You have to forgive the process and those who were in it because forgiveness is setting the prisoner free when you are the prisoner. 
And he's saying, just like what you should all be saying, I will strip myself because I am not a prisoner. You have got to know that you are free and no longer a slave. Because you cannot walk into your dream with unforgiveness in your heart or else you cannot do the job to your full capacity because then your hands are involved. And when your hands are involved, it's not as big as God's hands. Amen? Amen. And he changed his clothes. And that word change in Hebrew means renewal. You've got to develop the art of self-renewal because if you don't renew yourself, nobody else will. You gotta be able to say to yourself, say, hold on. My change is coming. My dream is on time. And he's standing before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him both of his dreams. Stop right there. You cannot interpret somebody else's dream until you've lived with yours long enough. Unpause. And when Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, he tells him that both dreams are basically telling you the same thing. He says that there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Now watch this. As he is interpreting the dream, not only is he interpreting, but he's already starting to step into the role and operating and telling him what needs to be handled for what's coming and what's going to be ready so that he can be prepared for it. And he says that you got to start to begin, you got to begin to build barns. You've got to inquire more real estate. Call Pastor Corey. He'll, he'll, he'll hook you up. And then we've got to, and then we've, and then we've got to put a bunch of people to work that are going to help us to do what's go- what it's gonna take for us to do. Oh, and by the way, Pharaoh, I know exactly where to get those laborers because they've been in prison with me waiting for an opportunity to see the light of day and nothing is going to be more precious to them to them than to come out of the dungeon that I've just been in there with them for the past two years because you're going to discover that even though they've been criminals, they've now been reformed and they're going to be hard workers now because I've already mentored them. I've already trained them. And they know the value of, why, of, 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 of where they are where they are. So all that Joseph went through prior to this, in those seasons and in those transitions, he, has, he is now using in his final place. Whereas if he hadn't gone through all those things, he would not have been ready or prepared for his dream. And Pharaoh says in Genesis 41, 39 through 42, it says, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. And only as regards to this throne will I be greater than you. See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh remantles Joseph with a fine linen coat. (laughs) (laughs) And then we wonder, listen to this, and then we wonder, why am I going through this? I don't deserve this. Well, I'm here to tell you, I think you do deserve this but you won't find out if you quit and give up hold on my my you see it started with a dream and then it ended with a dream Joseph had a dream Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream so that he could be in the position of where he's at Listen, you cannot skip the experiences. You cannot get to the results without experiences. You have got to go through it because this is what God does. Have you ever taken a stick of butter and eaten it? They don't taste very good, right? Have you ever taken an egg, cracked it open, and just eaten it raw? Jay's like, I do that 10 times a day. (laughs) (laughs) 
It don't really sound delicious though, right? How about this? Have you ever taken some flour and eaten it just raw? It's going to be a hot mess, right? It's not going to taste good. So if you have a stick of butter and you bite into it, it's, not, it's going to taste nasty. If you take an egg, you break it open and you eat it, it's going to be nasty. You take some flour, you eat it, it's going to be nasty. All of these things, all of these things are nasty on their own. Right? They're nasty on their own. Uh-oh. Right? All of these things are nasty on their own. But get this. This is what the master chef does. This is my mantle. <laughs> he has this bowl. And he knows that with just the right amount of tears, just the right amount of persecution, just the right amount of disappointment, the right amount of humiliation and anger in this bowl, he's taken all these things that when they are on their own, they're nasty. They don't taste good. And they don't feel good, right? But he knows that with the right amount and with the right ingredients, right, the right amount of embarrassment. This is my mantle. <laughs> the right amount of failure. This is organic butter. Expensive stuff. I'm sorry, Nisa. I know. <laughs> And the right amount of despair. Oh, I don't want shells in my stuff. He's putting them in this bowl, mixing them together, and over time, he's mixing them and mixing them all together. I forgot my mixer. <laughs> Doesn't really work too well now, but you guys get the picture. And he's putting them in his bowl, and over time, he's mixing them together, and he's doing something with the things that, on their own, are nasty. But, together, you ever had some cake? Together, they make something that tastes good, right? Oh, I got to mix it with my gum now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but now I can't get it out. <laughs> Why do you always bring food? It is good, though. <laughs> but if you stay frustrated, by just the ingredients alone, you'll never get to the end results of this cake, which is your life. And you know what they say, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? And people need your ingredients. People need your ingredients so that they can eat off of your life. You're called to be a disciple, right? And the reason why a lot of people in this world don't get to the essence of God is because they reject his ingredients. They don't stick with it and they give up. And you can't reject the ingredients and have a good tasting life because it's the ingredients that make your life. It's the process that makes you rich, not the outcome. And when people cut into you, they will now see something in you. They'll see something in your tone. They'll see something in your sound. They'll see something in your voice, something in your demeanor, something just inside of you. And they will ask, what is that? What is that thing? 
Well, it's just what the master baker has been baking up through you. You haven't been called in this generation to be good little churchins. You've been called to change the culture. You've been called to shift the atmosphere. You've been called to change the environment. That's why you're going through what you've been going through, right? So you can feed all those others that are hungry. There's a Joseph anointing on you if you're ready and you can endure the process. Just hold on. My change is coming. My dream is on time. Okay. I want to tell this one other quick story real quick and we'll wrap it up. Think of the story of uh, Simon Peter. Right? I'm going to get to it here. I thought this was really profound. The story of Simon Peter's life, right? Simon, he's a fisherman, right? And everything he knew about fishing wasn't working one day. He was a fisherman. That was his job. And in the book of Luke, it talks about a time where he was out fishing and didn't catch anything. And here he is now contemplating on the shoreline, trying to figure out because he didn't catch any fish, how am I going to pay the bills? Can anybody relate? And at that moment, here comes Jesus, who is pressed by the crowd, walking and preaching and teaching. And he basically says, Simon, can I borrow your boat and your experience to teach these people how to handle being disappointed? Well, what do you mean? You think you're the only one on the planet where everything is shut down that you knew how to work and isn't working anymore? You think you're the only one who had a setback and a disappointment? Give me permission to use your business as a platform. Well, what do you want to do? I just want to sit in your disappointment. His boat was his job. He didn't catch anything that day. That was his disappointment. And Jesus says, I just want to sit in your disappointment. And so Jesus was allowed by Simon to sit in his disappointment, to sit in his boat, and it said that Jesus sat down in the boat. That word sat down in the Greek is cathedris. Cathedris is where we get the word cathedral. Cathedral is the seat of the bishop. Jesus is the bishop and guardian of our soul. And so when Simon allowed him to sit in his disappointment, his disappointment became the cathedral, the seat of the bishop. And when he sat down, everything had to come into alignment with what he was about to say. Hold on. My change is coming. My dream is on time. Jesus is now saying, now, now I want to pay you back. I want, I want you to go back out to where you were disappointed and let down. Loosen is the real word. So he, what he's saying is you are so tense because you feel like you failed. That until I can get you relaxed again in the place in which you think you failed in, you won't see what I've got for you. I need you to loosen your grip on your tension and anxiety out in the deep place where everything that you've done didn't work right. Because I'm about to show you that while you think that fish only bite at night, I am the light of a whole new day. And while I've already been preaching on the surface, my words are, have been moving into the deep. You see, what, what, what we need to realize when we are in this season is that the boat belongs to Jesus. And let him sit down in our disappointments and give us a revelation that disappointment is his appointment. Because when Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Our preference is we want to live and the Lord gives. But you have to be able to say, when you're in a season when the Lord gives, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And when you're in a season where the Lord takes away, even more, 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because the surest sign that you're about to get a larger capacity for a larger blessing is that when he has, has you to unload everything that filled your hands and now you're empty and you have to allow his hands to be involved. You are about to get filled with a capacity that you could not have had had you hung on to that old chapter. You won't know the greatness for which you were born until you have been become aware of the greatness of the opposition that you meet. Because the devil sees where you're going, and he is not dealing with you based on where you are. He has already seen what God has for you, and he's got to take you out now because he knows if he doesn't, you will put a tremendous hurt on his already crumbling kingdom. And so what we have to do when we are disappointed, we have to allow him to sit in our disappointment, bring him in with us, take him on our journey with us, put it into his hands, because when our hands are involved, it's not as big as his hands. Father God, I just thank you for what you're doing here. Lord, I ask that you encourage us to, to seek you in all things that we go through in our lives, God. Whenever we are feeling disappointed, whenever, whenever we are feeling like we've failed in life, we've failed in our job, we've failed in our marriage, we've failed in our relationship, we've failed in our kids' lives, we've failed. Lord, we have not just failed, God. You are coming in and showing us a brand new day so that we can be reformed. Lord, encourage us to take all that we have, all of our past experiences, all of our, all of our despairs, our anger, our frustrations, our seasons of life, and put it into your hands. Lord, I just ask that you bless these people that are here this, this morning with us, that when you send them on their way, Lord, that, 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 that this word will encourage them to keep pushing forward, to keep, to keep going through, and to not give up to seek you in all things because, God, you work all things for the good, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Whew. All right. So, um, if you guys have anything um, that you feel like you're feeling the pressures of in life or you're feeling like there's anything in, in that, that you are just going through in a season in your life right now and you need to um, just feel peace feel and, 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 and just have the strength to keep pushing forward. I want to invite you to come on up and uh, have the prayer partners come up as well uh, and we can pray over you guys for anything that you are going through, anything you're dealing with in your life so that, we, so that you can be encouraged as you leave here this morning. And if the media team could help me out, put a little something soft in the background. If there's anything that you're feeling, feel free to come up so we can pray for you. God, we just thank you what you're doing here. I ask that you just encourage us to go about our days, God, and do your work, God. Put it in your hands so that we're not, you know, whenever we do stuff on ourselves, we get exhausted. It's tiresome when we try to do the work ourselves. Lord, I ask that you just encourage each and every one of us to go about our days so that we can have a peace and a rest inside of us to do the things that you are calling us to do and not look at these circumstances, not to look at what we're going through right now as a sign of defeat, as a sign of failure, as a sign of inadequacy, of a sign that I'm not good enough. Lord, because you have said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that we are made in the image of God. We are your workmanship created for all the things that you have already pre-planned. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We're loved. We have a lot of incredible things that say a lot about us that does not have to do holistically with the way that we look, 
But as we draw closer to you, the more beautiful we become. And so we just thank you, God, that you are here in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way. Meet the people in their despair. Meet the people in their fears of whatever it is that they're going through right now. Lord, I just ask that you meet them right now. Reveal yourself to them in the sense of where, where you are in their season, Lord, because you are always present. You're never far away. And sometimes whenever we are in a season, sometimes whenever we're, we're in a, a tough space, we can't see him. Because we're distracted by all the other things around us and we're trying to work ourselves to get out of it instead of just giving it to you. I just pray that you encourage us this morning to give it to you, to let down our nets, loosen our tension and our anxiety, and give us the courage to have you come and sit in our disappointments. We bless you for what you're doing right now, moving in the hearts of the people. Thank you for your presence.